It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Ryan Hickey Show Warehouse. But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is Super Bowl week. We have finally made it here. One last game left in the NFL, which is always bittersweet, right? We always love watching football. We can't get enough of it. And we always look forward to the Super Bowl. We always talk about who's going to make it, who's not. Now we obviously know the two teams, Rams and the Bengals. But now also we work our way to the final game, the final chance to watch some real football until September. So, bittersweet, but very excited to get the big game underway. We'll have you pre, uh, you know, ready to go here in a minute. Rams, Bengals, who is going to win? I have my prediction. Love to hear what yours is as well. But it's a very busy day, not just in football. Because today's the NBA trade deadline. Trade deadline six hours away, 3 o'clock Eastern, is the final time any teams can make a trade. And there are some big names out there. There's some big teams that need help. Will they be able to make a move? As we know, the Nets and the Sixers have gone back and forth. There's reports they are talking. There's reports they're not talking. So we'll just talk about it in a very simple way. Should, should the Sixers trade for James Harden? Would trading for James Harden put the Sixers in championship contention? We'll get to that. I just want to get to that in 15 minutes or so from now. It's great to be back with you. I apologize for missing Monday's show. Was skiing over the weekend, went to Mount Snow, shredding a little gnar, going down the trails, um, and was not able to get back in time for Monday's show. So I apologize for that, but we appreciate you joining us here on this Thursday morning. As a reminder, we're coming to you live from where else but the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. So because it is the last show before the Super Bowl, we will have Hickey's Pickies, of course, a victory lap, if you will, with Preston Rooksbury Carmines the second, the regular season Hickey's Pickies champion going 6-1, and one, crushing it. So he'll be back for his victory lap at 10-20 Eastern as also, as well. Maybe we'll hit on a few prop bets uh, and have a little fun there as well. But I do want to preview the game here to start uh, because for me, I think the Rams are winning the Super Bowl. I think they're winning the Super Bowl because of two areas the Bengals struggle in. Scoring touchdowns and keeping Joe Burrow upright. I think those are the two big differences as to why L.A. in their own home stadium will be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Let's start with number one, scoring touchdowns. Right? As we know, this Bengals offense is very prolific. Joe Burrow is an insanely talented quarterback. He's tremendous. You have, you know, when you have Joe Mixon, you have T. Higgins, you have Jamar Chase, you have Tyler Boyd. There is a lot of offensive firepower there for Cincinnati. So, me, look at me when you hear me, you know, saying one of the keys to a Rams win is the fact that the Bengals struggle scoring touchdowns. Well, let's call for what it is. In the postseason, Cincinnati has struggled putting the ball in the end zone. And guess what? Field goals are not beating the Rams. You need to score six. When you are in the red zone, you've got to score touchdowns. And that's something the Bengals have struggled in in the three postseason games so far. In the three games they've played, 
They've scored the Bengals offense a grand total of five touchdowns. That's it. Five touchdowns in three postseason games. You can make the argument, outside of Joe Burrow, the MVP of this Bengals team in the postseason has been their kicker, Evan McPherson. Money Mac. Money McPherson. There's a lot of nicknames going around for their rookie kicker, and he's deserving of it because he does not miss. In this postseason, again, three games, he has kicked 12 field goals. He has made all 12 field goals. If this pace continues, he's going to set a record. Adam Vinatieri, his record is 14 field goals made in one postseason. McPherson makes three field goals on Sunday. He is the new record holder for most field goals made in a postseason. So that shows you the Bengals are settling for three a lot. Now, to their credit, again, they've been winning these games, but when you look at the offense the Rams bring in, I do think now scoring touchdowns is going to matter. So when you scored, if you're the Bengals, 72 points in the playoffs total, 40 out of the 72 have been from your kicker, that's not a great sign. That's 55% of the offense. 55% of the scoring has come from their kicker in Evan McPherson. Three won't be good enough to keep up with this Rams offense. That's why it's key for the Bengals when they get in the red zone, when they're driving, to finish the drives with touchdowns. Because you look at their other three opponents the Bengals have played so far in the playoffs. The Raiders. Derek Carr, for most of that game, struggled, only put up 19 points. And that Raiders offense really never got going, got in a rhythm where the Bengals felt like they actually had to score a lot of points to keep up. So that was a pretty, you know, game, even game where the, the Raiders never really put a big scare in you. I know they're driving down the field late, but they never put a big uh, scare into you where you felt like the Bengals had to score to keep up. The Titans, I mean, Ryan Tannehill is Ryan Tannehill. In the playoffs, this guy stinks. Three picks. I hope you listened to the Thursday before the divisional round show when I told you Derrick Henry, since he didn't play, uh, uh, you know, he was returning for the first time since Halloween, was not going to have this big impact, was not going to rush for 100 yards. I think I said 16 carries or 63 yards, something like that. He eclipsed that, but barely. He was ineffective. So the Titans never got anything going on offense. He scored 16 points. Ryan Tannehill threw three picks. Derrick Henry was bottled up. Again, he was rusty. He couldn't get, you know, his legs going. So, again, that was an offense that never really threatened the Bengals to be able to get into a track meet and score. And the Chiefs, yes, they raced out to a 21-3 lead. They scored touchdowns on their first three possessions. But guess what? The rest of the game they scored one time, and it was a field goal, and it was the last drive of the game. That Chiefs offense in the second half absolutely collapsed. Patrick Holmes looked like a different person. So again, the three teams that the Bengals have faced in the postseason, the Raiders, the Titans, and the Chiefs, never consistently put offense together to where the Bengals had to score, where they had to keep up, where it was coming to a shootout. And I do think that's going to be what happens here on Sunday. I think the Rams are going to score consistently. So you're going to need now the Bengals' offense to keep up. And how you keep up is by scoring six, not three, which is something the Bengals have struggled to do. Now, look, this week, I will say this, right? There's been a lot of talk about whether would you rather have Joe Burrow or would you rather have Matthew Stafford? A lot of people have taken Joe Burrow. And frankly, even though I'm the biggest Matthew Stafford fan in the world, I would probably take Joe Burrow. I would give Joe Burrow and the Bengals the edge in the quarterback department coming into Sunday 
than I would over the Rams. But here's one thing, though, that Matthew Stafford has excelled at, he's been great at, and I think is overlooked in, in, in an aspect here. He's been clutch. Not only is he, has he been consistently good this postseason, he has been insanely clutch in this postseason, which, again, if you're going to match drives, something the Raiders failed to do with Derek Carr not getting the end zone, something the Titans failed to do with Ryan Tannehill throwing a pick in the two-minute drill, and the Chiefs failed to do because Patrick Holmes threw a pick in overtime, not to mention, sure, he led his team down the field but could have scored a touchdown and end the game, couldn't. Matthew Stafford, I have faith, will make the big throw in the big moment. Right, we've seen it right now in these three postseason games. He's not only been consistently good, where in the postseason three games he has 905 passing yards, which is second behind only Patrick Mahomes. He's been insanely efficient, 72% completion percentage, again, second in the NFL. He's made just one mistake, one turnover in three games. That was a bad one, picking the end zone against the 49ers. But just one turnover after he had a propensity for turning the ball over late in the season. So he has not only, again, been consistently clutch, uh, so consistently good, but he's been clutch. The big throw to Cooper Cup to win them the, the Buccaneers game with all the momentum, all of the, you know, the game essentially switched from the Rams side to the Buccaneers side and felt like this was going to be an incredible Tom Brady comeback yet again. Matthew Stafford pulled the Rams from the jaws of defeat. And then the next week, down by 10 points in the fourth quarter, engineers three scoring drives in the fourth quarter to tie the game, take the lead, and win the game's venture for the Rams. He's been clutch. He has absolutely been clutch. So for Joe Burrow now, he has been clutch as well, don't get me wrong, but he's also now going to have to be consistently good throughout the entirety of the game, something that he hasn't had to do in part because, again, Derek Carr struggled for most of the game. Ryan Tannehill is Ryan Tannehill. Derek Henry was bottled up, and Patrick Holmes just collapsed in the second half of the game um, in the AFC division, uh, in the AFC championship game. This offense is going to score for the Rams, and it's all about now for the Bengals trying to keep up, and they have struggled to put the ball in the end zone this postseason. So I'm going to go on a limb here. This is the most points I think the, the Bengals defense will give up in the postseason. I think it's the most points they'll give up, right? They give up six or 19 to the Raiders, 16 to the Titans, and 24 to the Chiefs. I think this is the most points this Bengals defense will give up on Sunday, which means, again, you're going to need the Bengals offense to score six, not three. It's something they have struggled with in the postseason, I have my doubts. Also, also... This, I think, is the game that the Bengals finally get burned on with their porous offensive line. Right? If this game becomes a shootout, if this game now becomes to the point where it's almost a Stafford versus Burrow kind of game, you're going to need, and that means the Bengals have to throw the ball a ton. And guess what? The more you throw the ball, the more you leave this offensive line, the worst unit in the game, right? out, of the, out of all teams, out of both teams, you put every unit uh, against each other. You rank them from best to worst. By far, the Bengals' offensive line is the worst unit out of the two, out of any unit on the Rams or Bengals. So the more you throw, the more you're asking Joe Burrow to be here, which he's done all season long, the more that you leave this offensive line susceptible to going against one of the best D lines in all of the NFL. And that, I think, on Sunday, will finally be the time that the uh, Bengals get burned. No shocker, Joe Burrow was the most sacked quarterback in the regular season 
51 times. By the way, he sat out week 18. So he did it. He was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL while also playing one less game. Think about how impressive that is for the Bengals O-line to be that bad. So not only is the most sacked quarterback in the regular season, as we know, he's also the most sacked quarterback in the postseason. 12 times he's been sacked. Now, nine of those came in one game. Credit to Joe Burrow for fighting through uh, in that Titans game. But that's a problem when you can't block, sustain, you know, when you can't block for Joe Burrow because this Rams defensive line is ferocious. They will get after Joe Burrow and get after him early and often. But this is a team that consistently gets after the quarterback. They finished the Rams did with 50 sacks in the regular season, third in the NFL. They have Aaron Donald, which I don't know how you're going to block. Like, if you're a, a Bengals offensive lineman, if you're the offensive line coach, I have zero clue what the hell you're telling your guys. I mean, tackle him every play, take a holding call. I have no clue how you, you try to block Aaron Donald. Maybe you have all five guys converge on Donald. That's what I would do, maybe. Say, everyone else, you're on your own. Joe Burrow, you know, be responsible for the other five blitzers that are coming. But we're going to use five guys to block Aaron Donald. So we have Aaron Donald to worry about. Then on the outside, you got Leonard Floyd on one edge, Von Miller on the other edge. Like, good luck. So obviously the key there, right, if you're going to talk about the Bengals O-line struggling and the Rams defense line getting after it, what does that mean? That means Joe Burrow has to get the ball quick. Well, here's the thing. That plays right into the strength of the Rams defense. Like, they're not a powerful defense. Right? We saw the 49ers, all three games they played against the Rams, were able to run the ball and, and kind of establish the, the run, right? Kind of impose their will. The Rams' defense as a whole is not one that's very physical. Not one that's going to punch you in the mouth. They're more fast. They get after the quarterback. They're, you know, their defensive backs and linebackers fly and rally to the ball. So if you're going to force more quick throws, if you're going to get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands early, get him to Jamar Chase, get him to T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, well, now you're asking the Rams defense to fly to the football, something they do well. Gang tackle, rally to the ball. They do that well. So now you're playing into the hands of the Rams defense. So for that reason, the lack of ability to protect Joe Burrow, the struggles for Cincinnati to score six in the postseason, not three, I think those are the two biggest reasons why the Rams are winning the Super Bowl. 27-21, I'm going Rams at home for the second year in a row. The home team in their home stadium wins the Super Bowl. How about you? Who do you have winning the Super Bowl and why? You got the Rams winning. You got the Bengals winning. What is your biggest key to the game? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we do return here, the NBA trade deadline is today. The big question is, will James Harden get traded or not? Here's the question I'm going to ask you and I want to tackle next. Should, should the Sixers trade for James Harden? I'll give you my answer when we do return. You're listening to the Ryan Hickey Show right here. Where else? But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 20 minutes from now, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. Who should get paid first out of the three? I gave you my answer. 
But it is NBA trade deadline day. Six hours from now, just about, a little less than that. We will finally have the, you know, it's the final time that you can make a trade for the season. And obviously, as we know, the big headline story, the big trade everyone is watching is whether the Nets will trade James Harden to the Sixers for Ben Simmons. And if that does happen, what else will Philly have to include? Right? It's a, it's a debate that's gone on now for weeks. Philly's not been shy about their interest. The Nets have not been shy about their lack of interest in trading James Harden. But now we have, you know, basically almost ESPN insiders fighting over whether trade talks are happening or not. Woe just saying they're not happening. Ryan Windhorst is saying that the two sides are talking a deal as possible. We're not going to talk about if James Harden is going to get traded. I want to look at it from the perspective of should James Harden be traded? If you're the Sixers, do you really become a finals contender with James Harden on your roster? For me, the answer is no. I don't think the Sixers should trade for James Harden because I don't think Philly is winning a title with James Harden either this year or in the next three or four years when he signs an extension in the offseason. I think he's not the missing piece for Philly. Right? I'll, I'll be honest here. I don't know about yourself, but, it, but it's kind of driving me a little bit crazy the last few days and weeks when you see the narrative surrounding James Harden. James Harden is a losing player. Let's call for what it is. We have seen a big enough sample size now to where he is not a guy you can fully trust to be your 1 or 1A to win you a title. I mean, the guy is openly quitting on the Nets, a team he begged to get traded there for just last year. Think about it. This guy is reportedly done. Woe just put out a story about an hour or so ago saying that James Harden is, you know, wants to be out of Brooklyn. He wants to be with the Sixers. He does not want to be with the Nets for the rest of the regular season, but he's too scared for the public backlash to request a trade. So this guy wants out, is too afraid to get out, wants someone else to be kind of the bad guy and, and take the front of the blame. Well, he goes over to Philly and tries to win a title. Here's a guy now where you still have Kevin Durant on the team. Let's not forget, the Nets didn't lose all their talent. Kevin Durant is still on the team. He's injured now, but he's coming back in, in the next few weeks. Kyrie Irving, yes. Right now, he can only play away games because of his vaccination status. It doesn't seem like Kyrie's going to change that. But as we know, the ever-evolving landscape in which we live, maybe the state of New York and the city of New York repeals their vaccination mandate. And maybe, come playoff time, which is, again, very far away. We're still months away from the playoffs, April, May, and June, to where things could change, where maybe Kyrie will be eligible to play in the postseason every game home and away by the time the playoffs come. James Harden is looking at that where right now Kyrie's only playing half the games and KD is out. And he is saying, you know what? They're both coming back and they both should be playing. And when we all three are on the court, we are the best team in the NBA. They're 13-3 and three in the 16 games they've played. The two games they have played this year, they've looked very good. He is still quitting, though, on the Nets because he doesn't want to wait around. He doesn't want to wait around for KD to get hurt and maybe he questions his durability on the court. He doesn't want to wait around to see if Kyrie maybe will either get the shot or maybe the, the vaccine mandate will be repealed. He's saying, you know what? Screw it. I'm out of here. We're close to a title. The East, I still think, is kind of open. You know, obviously the Bucs have been great. The, the Heat have been a surprise story. But there's no real runaway team in the East to where the Nets don't have a chance, even if the big three are healthy. And James Harden is quitting on the Nets in the middle of the season just because right now it's a little tough. It's a little hard because he's the only one playing some nights. And conveniently, by the way, all of a sudden had a hamstring injury pop up and now he's not playing any games right on the trade deadline. Hmm. Makes you wonder. So he's quitting on the Nets because it's too hard. 
he quit on the Rockets last year because he just didn't want to be there anymore. He didn't want to play with any more of his friends. So the guy's a quitter. He's a losing player. And again, he keeps on showing you signs of why that is. And every time the Sixers, for whatever reason, are either ignoring that or are blind to it. You can't be that naive. James Harden has shown who he is. He is a quitter. And guess what? When he's not quitting on the team, he's quitting in the playoffs. The guy has routinely and consistently showed he cannot be relied upon to play his best basketball in the playoffs. What is, why is Philly upset and why do they want to trade Ben Simmons? Because what? Ben Simmons struggles to shoot and he's afraid to shoot, right? We all know the donkey pass of last year in, in Game 5 against the Hawks where he passed the ball off. And as we know, that kind of led to the downfall and the reason why everyone is so frustrated with Ben Simmons. So Ben Simmons is reluctant to shoot and is afraid to shoot and it kind of shrivels in the big moment. James Harden does shoot, but in the postseason, in the big moment, in the elimination games, he struggles to play good as well. He can't be relied upon. The guy's inefficient. The guy is stubborn. He gets down on himself too easily. He is not a very reliable playoff player. So if you're the Sixers and you're saying, well, we got Joel Embiid right now playing at an MVP level. He is a, a great player as we know. But we need someone else. We need a, a guard or a scorer to really take this team to the finals contention. You can't look at James Harden and with a serious face, look yourself in the mirror and say, we got our guy. This is the answer for us to win a title. Where has James Harden shown that? Where with the Rockets has James Harden shown you he can elevate a team the postseason to take them to the finals and win a championship? I, unless I'm watching the wrong basketball, unless I'm watching the wrong Rockets team, unless I'm watching the wrong James Harden, I've never seen that. He's routinely in many elimination games against the Warriors, against the Spurs, year over year, has come up short in the big game. Now he goes to Brooklyn, and he's complaining about having to be the guy. He's complaining about, oh, there's too much on my shoulders. You really want a guy that's wanting to leave a team with two other stars because it's a little hard right now because they're not on the court? And you think that's the answer for Joel Embiid to win a title? No. If you're looking for someone to pair with Joel Embiid, 20 championship is sure as hell in James Harden. So I don't think Philly should do the move. Because also, let's not forget, right? He's a guy who's quit now on two teams in his career. He has shown you consistently he cannot be relied upon in the playoffs. And oh yeah, by the way, he has shown on almost a, a yearly basis he cannot get along with others. How many stars are going to be paired with James Harden before we realize, you know what? Maybe James Harden is the problem. Maybe it's not Dwight Howard's fault they didn't work out in Houston. Maybe it's not Chris Paul's fault that the two couldn't coexist in Houston. Maybe it's not uh, Russell Westbrook's fault those two were fighting each other, and Russell Westbrook eventually basically forced a trade because James Harden was not motivated enough. James Harden wasn't intense enough. He was too passive. I mean, he can't even get along with two of his so-called friends in Katie and Kyrie. He's frustrated with them. He wants out. So ask me this if you're Philly. If you're a Philly fan, if you're in the front office, if you're a player. How is Joel Embiid? Different than any of those guys we just listed. How is playing with Joel Embiid all of a sudden now going to change uh, James Harden to be a team first guy, to be not selfish, to be someone where they could coexist well and win a championship together? We have all seen this on a massive landscape now. James Harden is not a guy you can rely upon to win a title. 
James Harden is not a guy you can rely on in the postseason to make a big shot to win you a game, to play a huge four or five-minute stretch in the fourth quarter to lead you to a comeback victory. He is a guy who's routinely shriveled in the big moment. So, Philly, why do you want to hitch your wagons to that? I get, look, I get the argument of Joel Embiid, his health is always in question, and he's having an MVP season. So you don't know how many more opportunities you're going to get. I understand that. I understand the desperation to make a move to capitalize on an MVP season. With that said, though, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not forcing a trade for someone I know can't win a championship. I'm not making a move just for the hell of it. I'm leaving myself open. I'm giving myself flexibility to where in the offseason, I try to get someone in here that I know, that I know, can play their best basketball in the postseason and elevate this team to a championship level. I could take down the Bucks. I could take down the Hawks or the Heat. James Harden's not that guy. We have seen it over and over again. What's your argument to tell me different? So if you're Daryl Morey, I get James Harden's your buddy. I get that's a guy that you love, that you have you know, developed this into this insanely efficient and historic score in Houston, and you want him back now in Philly. But you got to look at the writing on the wall, man. You got to look back down history and see how those seasons ended up and see how James Harden has been the constant problem as to why his teams have always fallen short of a championship year in and year out. So I am not trading for someone. Even if you are bringing someone on the court, Ben Simmons is just going to be you know dead weight sitting there. I'd rather keep Ben Simmons, take him to the offseason, and have him be my main tra- uh, trade piece to try to get a Damian Lillard. To try to get another scorer in here that can truly be the difference maker for Philly, not make a trade just for the hell of it to trade for James Harden. You know James Harden is the equivalent of since it's Super Bowl weekend we're talking about the NFL? James Harden is a regular season Aaron Rodgers, but in the postseason, he's Kirk Cousins. James, playoff James Harden is playoff Kirk Cousins. The numbers will look nice. If you just look at the box score, oh, he had a, he had a decent game. But when you look deeper, he's inefficient from the field. He's reluctant to shoot sometimes in big moments. He's not the reason he can't elevate your team down the stretch. Kirk Cousins has done that routinely, whether it's Washington, whether it's Minnesota. And James Harden has done that routinely now, mostly in Houston, because we haven't seen him in the playoffs last year at Brooklyn. And this year, he has not even apparently given himself a chance to show that because he wants out before the playoffs even come. I am not trading the biggest asset, the biggest trade asset I have in Ben Simmons, even though he's not playing, I'm not trading him for a Kirk Cousins-esque player. For someone I know I can't rely on in the playoffs. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So if you're Philly, if you're Daryl Morey, you got to sit this one out. You can't trade for James Harden. If you're the Nets, I think you pull the trigger absolutely. At this point, about two or three weeks ago, I sat here and made the argument that the Nets shouldn't trade James Harden. You keep him for one more year, and even if you risk losing him free agency, Having one more chance at a title is worth it. But now, with James Harden basically doing everything possible to not himself demand a trade, but put out to sources, have Woj you know, do reporting, and, and have other outside sources basically saying he doesn't want to be in Brooklyn anymore, but he doesn't want to say it himself that he wants to trade, but he wants everyone else around him to say James Harden is unhappy. He doesn't like the rotations. He doesn't like Kyrie Irving's vaccination says. He doesn't like the fact that he's you know asking to shoulder the load more than he thought he was signing up for. When he came to Brooklyn last year, He's having everyone else do the dirty work for him. So if you're the Nets, you say, screw this guy. 
I'll take Ben Simmons. You have no idea what you're getting, right? Ben Simmons does not play this year. We have no clue the mental space Ben Simmons is in right now, if he's even confident enough to get on the court. I have no idea. But I'd rather take my chances with Ben Simmons right now than keep on holding on to James Harden, someone who doesn't want to be there, someone who's going to leave him for agency, and someone that you can't rely on in the playoffs. So if you're the Nets, I think you're the ones making the move here. And I think if you're Philly, you've got to really be, be cautious and you can't pull the trigger. I'd rather have the Sixers, if I'm Daryl Morey and I'm anyone in this front office, lose in the second round of the playoffs in an MVP-like season for Joel Embiid. But keep the offseason flexible. Allow every asset to be on the table come offseason where you can make a big move rather than burn them now, trade for James Harden, have a playoff run with James Harden, which I'm sure is going to fall short because, once again, James Harden can't be relied upon in the playoffs, and then all of a sudden go into the offseason where you have to give him a massive extension and really kind of eat at your cap. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So if you're a Philly, you absolutely should not, should not trade for James Harden in about five and a half hours or so from now. Another team that's in trouble. Another team that, you know, could be screwed. Another trade deadline that wants to make a move that I don't think can make a move is the Los Angeles Lakers. There's no life raft coming. This team is dead in the water. There's no move, there's no trade they can make that can save their season, that can turn them into championship contenders. We just saw this team yesterday with AD and LeBron. You want to say, oh, Russell Westbrook's the problem, trade him. Well, guess what? Russell Westbrook last night against a Trailblazers team that is openly tanking. That is trading away any player with talent. Doesn't have Damian Lillard. No CJ McCollum. Norman Powell is gone. The Lakers with AD and LeBron playing and no one good on the, the Blazers playing lost to Portland last night. So you want to blame it on Russell Westbrook? Hey, and play outside, this team still lost to one of the worst teams in the NBA. There's no trade that's happening that can turn this Lakers season around. They're going to be lucky to get out of the playing tournament. And if they do, they're going to one and done in the playoffs. This team stinks. And they are stuck. Because what, what are you going to do? You're going to trade Russell Westbrook for who? Right, the most popular name, the most popular option, you trade Russell Westbrook for John Wall. Well, John Wall hasn't played one game this season. Two years ago, missed the entire season. Last year, played 40 games. So out of the last three years, two and a half years, he's played a grand total of 40 games. So is John Wall coming in all of a sudden and being this massive difference maker that Russell Westbrook apparently wasn't? Is it going to be this massive now spark plug where all of a sudden the Lakers are one of the best teams in the NBA? No. Absolutely not. So when you look at, okay, Russell Westbrook, he's not getting much back. Really, the only player you're going to get back is John Wall. I don't think John Wall makes that much of an impact. Is he an upgrade? I'd say yes. Is he that much of an upgrade? I'd say no. You know, one of the bigger trade pieces they had, you know, the last few years in Taylor Horton Tucker, well, he's played more and his value has gone down. You don't have a lot of draft capital either if you're the Lakers. So there's not much ammunition for them to do to make a trade. There's not many avenues, not many trades available to them where they're going to pull off that is going to make them different. The Lakers are screwed. There's nothing realistically they can do between now and 3 o'clock Eastern that's going to make them into a championship-level team. It's, there's none. They're absolutely stuck. And they're absolutely screwed. LeBron could do whatever he wants to do. Try to call any team imaginable. No team is taking Russell Westbrook, and no team, if they do take Russell Westbrook, is giving you anything of value back. Lakers are absolutely stuck. And I do want to hit on the Trailblazers here for a second. Because I'll say this. I actually like what the Blazers are doing. They traded away Norman Powell, nice young player. They traded away Robert Covington. Both of those gentlemen went to the uh, Clippers. They just traded away CJ McCollum to the Pelicans. 
They, for me, well, it seems like they're having a fire sale. I think this is actually the last great push they're making to try to win a championship with Damian Lillard. And I think they're going about it so far the right way. The last few years, but especially coming into this season, the Blazers were stuck. This team wasn't very good. We know they had a ceiling, even with Damon and everyone else healthy. This team was talent-wise behind the, the Warriors, talent-wise behind the, the Suns, the Jazz. You know, even right now, maybe even the, the Clippers and the Mavs. This team was not very good. So you didn't have a talented roster. You also didn't have many avenues to get more talent on the team. Right? They were up against the cap. They couldn't make many trades. They didn't have many valuable trade pieces. So this team was absolutely stuck, and you really didn't have much room to bring any other players in. So now what you're doing is finally clearing the deck. Damon Lillard gets hurt, almost, I would say, a blessing in disguise because now it allows you to push the reset button very quickly here and clear the deck. You get three players out, you open up a lot of salary, and now you give yourself trade and, and you know draft assets, you give yourself flexibility in the cap, and you now basically have a roster of Damian Lillard and flexibility everywhere else. It's very tough to get stars to Portland, as we know, right? Not many players want to play in Portland. It's tough to get free agents there. Trade-wise, we'll see how many people are, are willing to play with Dame. But now the Blazers are at least setting themselves up to make a serious run this offseason. Damian Lillard, I'm sure, has a few players he identifies that he wants to play with. Now you have the flexibility and the cap space to go make the move. They have freedom to try to swing big trades, to try to you know sign big-time free agents. So I like the Blazers here hitting the reset button, opening, kind of breaking everything down except for Damian Lillard and trying to make one more run here, trying to show Dame, hey, we can win a title in Portland here. We're going to move all these pieces. We're going to basically clear the deck and we're going to build this team or, or try to build this team in your eye with you as the only kind of foundational piece left. Honestly, I don't think it's going to work. I do think Dame is going to be traded this offseason, but I do like the Blazers kind of at least having one more move. Instead of throwing their hands up or trying to make small ancillary moves to keep CJ and maybe get another wing in there, they're blowing it up and they are going, I would guess, big game hunting this offseason, which is the only way to keep Damon Portland and the only way to try to win a championship with the Blazers. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I'd love to hear them on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Should the Sixers... Trade for James Harden. Does it make sense for Philly to uh, bring in James Harden and try to make a run, give up a lot of assets, Ben Simmons, but maybe also other pieces, whether it's a Seth Curry, whether it's a Tyrese Maxey, whether it's a Matisse Thibault? Does it make sense for the Sixers to go all in right now to trade for James Harden or no? Love to get your thoughts again. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. See you comments, so we'll get your thoughts here. And also, we do return. Kyler Murray this week deleted all of his Cardinals social media posts. The 2021 or 2022 version of showing your frustration in a very passive-aggressive way. We assume it's because he's unhappy with his contract uh, currently. If that's the case, Kyler Murray joins Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield as three quarterbacks that their futures are kind of up in the air contract-wise. So I want to ask you this question. Out of those three, Kyler, Lamar, Baker, who is going to be the first quarterback to get paid? We'll discuss uh, that question when we do return us into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.
Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Forty minutes or so from now, Hickey's Pickies with Preston Rooksbury Carmine, the second. 2021 Hickey's Pickies champion going six and one this year. Absolutely crushing it. Ironically, him being a Cardinals fan, the only game he lost was actually the Cardinals. So we'll get his, you know, we'll get his Super Bowl prop bets. We'll discuss what the hell is going on with Kyler Murray. Is he gonna be a Cardinal? Why is he deleting all the pictures uh, from his social media account of him in a Cardinals uniform? I'm gonna get to that here in a second. Why what my theory is. But we will do a Hickey's Pickies with Preston Rooksbury comments second in 40 minutes from now. I do quickly want to circle back on a few comments that you guys made on, uh, on Twitter and Facebook about whether the Sixers should trade for James Harden. Trade deadline is today, 3 o'clock Eastern. I don't think these Sixers should trade for James Harden. I think they make a big mistake, a massive mistake. And they trade for James Harden for one simple reason. I don't think you're winning a title with James Harden in Philly. Nothing against Joel Embiid. Nothing against the rest of the roster. James Harden, to me, is not a championship-winning player. He has shown it time and time and time again. I mean, honestly, look at his Houston tenure. Look at all the different stars, all the different types of players that were brought in to play with him, to play alongside him, to coexist, and they all failed. They all fumed out, and honestly, they all ended pretty poorly. There's one common link, though. It's James Harden. This guy routinely struggles in the postseason. He becomes very inefficient. Sometimes he becomes afraid to shoot. He can't get the job done. He's shown it multiple times. So if you're a Philly, if you're looking for that next-level player that can truly be the difference maker in winning a championship, James Harden is not that guy. Sure, in the regular season, he'll put up insane stats. He'll get you to the number one seed or the number two seed in the East. He'll get you home court advantage. Ben Simmons did that last year. The Sixers were number one in the East. But guess what? Why do Sixers fans want Ben Simmons traded? Well, in part, you know, with his his outburst of quitting the team, but mainly, the reason why Ben Simmons quit on the team was because he was frustrated from the media, from the fans, from his teammates who threw him under the bus because he didn't perform in the postseason. He was scared of the moment. He struggled. He was afraid to shoot. Didn't want to shoot. He was passing up dunks. He shrunk in the postseason. Well, James Harden won't shrink in the same exact way as Ben Simmons. Right? He's not going to pass up a dunk. He's not going to be afraid to shoot. He, though struggles equally in the postseason, in the playoffs. He's not the guy you can rely on in the playoffs to elevate this team, to get this team to the finals and win the finals. He is the playoff and NBA equivalent of Kirk Cousins. And if I'm Daryl Morey, I'm not trading my best trade asset, even though he's not playing, and even though my star player is having an MVP season, I am not trading all my best assets for a Kirk Cousins-esque playoff player that I know I can't win a championship with. I'd rather retain flexibility in the offseason. I'd rather go out early in the playoffs this year and have flexibility and remain open to make a massive move to try to bring in a star player that I can win a championship with 
instead of trying to panic, trying to capitalize on Joel Embiid's MVP season right now, and trading for a guy that I personally don't have any faith in that can play well in the playoffs. So a few of you commenting, uh, Christian Wood, we appreciate you listening, man. Comments, Ben Simmons is dead weight at this point. He's losing confidence by the day. Essentially, he's Darius Mild now. So yes, I'm not trying to you know defend Ben Simmons here or, or tell you he's a better option. The guy's not playing again. That is absolutely you know a guarantee. He's never playing for the Sixers again. So it's like you're holding a hope that, okay, the trade deadline comes and goes. All of a sudden, Ben Simmons is going to just feel better one day and come on the court. That's not happening. But with that said, you, I still think, can get a good return from Ben Simmons in the offseason. You could send him around a trade, maybe include Tobias Harris. Maybe if you have to, depending on who the player is, have to include a Tyrese Maxey. But I'm not including some good young players, and I'm not using, and I would say wasting, my best trade piece. And Ben Simmons for a guy in James Harden. To love to hear your thoughts again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore Rays. You can tweet at us or at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Tweet us your thoughts. Should the Sixers trade for James Harden before today's 3 o'clock Eastern deadline? We'll circle back to that conversation in a little bit because I still want to get into it. But I do want to hit on quickly here the future of Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. Right? We, we pres- I presume... Kyler Murray is upset with his contract currently right now. He's coming uh, off of year number three. He is eligible for a contract extension. The Cardinals also can um, extend their fifth-year option on Kyler Murray. So, essentially, he's going to be in Arizona for two more years. It seems, I would assume, he wants a contract after year three. And maybe by him deleting all of his uh, Cardinals posts, he's either trying to send a message that he's upset and wants an extension and he knows he's not getting one, or is trying to bully the Cardinals into giving him an extension now. Who? Because now it's interesting because he joins a list of Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, right? Those three quarterbacks are, I would say, pretty good quarterbacks. All three are in contract uh, extension limbo. Will any of these three guys get a contract extension? When will any of these three guys get a contract extension? So I want to ask you this question. Out of those three guys, Kyler, Lamar, Baker, who is the one to get the first contract extension. Who is essentially getting paid next? Kyler, Baker, or Lamar? Before I answer this, I want to tell you this. I don't think any of the three are getting contract extensions this offseason, nor should they. I wouldn't pay Lamar right now. I would not pay Baker Mayfield, and I would not pay Kyler Murray. I don't think any of the three will get contracts this offseason. I don't think any of the three should get contracts this offseason. So they're going to play out 2022. Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield will play it out on their fifth-year option. Uh, Kyle Murray will go into year four without a contract extension. But out of those three, I think the first one to get paid coming after 2022, I think is going to be Baker Mayfield for a very simple reason. The bar for him to get paid is the lowest out of the three quarterbacks. Here's what I mean by that. If Baker Mayfield in 2022, he had the shoulder surgery, as we know, if he comes back healthy, if he has a season that is very similar, slightly better than what he did in 2020, I think the Browns are going to pay him. They absolutely going to pay him. Because you look at it for Cleveland, where else are you going to go? I don't think the Browns would play chicken with a guy who has brought consistent now success to Cleveland for the first time in realistically two decades. I mean, you know, we, we've seen the Browns go through quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. So if Baker Mayfield has a similar season to 2020, which last year he threw for 26 touchdowns to eight interceptions. 
And more importantly, down the stretch, the final eight games of the season, two of which include the playoffs, he threw 15 touchdowns and two interceptions. That play down the stretch helped get the Browns to the playoffs for the first time since 2002. Helped get the Browns a postseason win for the first time since 1994. If he has similar success both on the field and team-wise, where he throws for you know high 20s and touchdowns, single digits and picks, the Browns make the playoffs, maybe they win the division, maybe they're a wild card, maybe they win a playoff game. If they have a similar season to 2020 where Baker plays well, especially down the stretch, the Browns win a playoff game and get in the postseason, I think the Browns are giving Baker an extension. So if he can replicate 2020, which I think he can, he is getting paid. Because I think 2021 is a wash. The only game he was healthy this season was the first game of the year. He played well over 300 passing yards against the, against the Chiefs. They lost a shootout. He hurt his shoulder week two that impacted the rest of his season. So for me, I'm throwing 2021 out. I'm chalking it up as an injury loss season. Now there's blame on him. Don't get me wrong. But I'm excited to see, and I do believe fully healthy 2022 Baker Mayfield can look a lot like 2020 Baker and can have success. And if you're the Browns, I don't think you're asking a lot of Baker for him then to give him a contract extension. You're not asking him to be an MVP caliber quarterback. I think you're asking just for consistent success. I think that will lead to them giving him a contract extension. So even though Baker, let's go for what it is. He's the worst out of the three quarterbacks. I think Kyler's better. I think Lamar's better. I do think, though, if Baker has a similar season in 2022, like he did in 2020, he is getting a contract extension first, in part, because guess what? The, the price only rises. As we know, every quarterback extension that happens, the next one always tries to one-up it. So if you're the Browns, Baker is a solid year, and Lamar's sitting there with the contract extension possibility, Kyler Murray's sitting there with the contract extension possibility, you read the Browns, you want to get it at the cheapest possible price, which means you race to the table. When the season ends, that's what I think will happen. That's why I think Baker Mayfield's getting paid first. If you're the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, or if you're the Cardinals and you're Steve Kahn, I should say, and Cliff Kingsbury, you should have reservations about paying Kyler Murray. And that's why I don't think he's getting paid this offseason. Because he has now had back-to-back seasons where he has folded down the stretch. And I don't know about you, I'm not paying a quarterback $40 million a season when he can't play well in the big moments. When he plays his worst games and the biggest games of the season. Because you look at 2020. He was an MVP candidate for the first half of the season. First nine games, right? After that magical Hail Murray in 2020, right? Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins over the Bills. After that win, after that touchdown pass, the Cardinals moved to 6-3 and three on the season. Kyler Murray up to that point, 27 total touchdowns, 10 turnovers. So he's playing great. Scoring a lot. This is a high-powered offense. He's playing great. Well, the final seven games of the season, the Cardinals had a 2-5 and five record, and Kyler just totaled 10 touchdowns and 6 picks, or 6 turnovers. So his play drastically dropped from the first nine games to the final seven. And guess what? 2021, no different. Look at the first eight games of the year for Kyler and the Cardinals. 7-1, and one, right? They, got, they were the last undefeated team in the NFL. 7-1 start, Kyler Murray, 20 total touchdowns, 7 turnovers. The last seven games, because he missed a few with injury, so the first seven games, or the first eight games, seven and one the Cardinals were, 20 touchdowns total, seven turnovers. The final seven games of the season, including the playoff loss of the Rams, the, the Cardinals were two and five, nine touchdowns total for Kyler Murray, five turnovers. Nine touchdowns, the final seven games of the season he accounted for. 
two years in a row, he has fallen flat on his face in the second half of the season. And should we even get started with the playoff game? I mean, honestly, you watch that playoff game and you tell me Kyler Murray is worthy of a contract extension, you watch the rest of the playoffs. We see Matthew Stafford make big throw after big throw. We see Tom Brady lead his team back for a 27-3 deficit to almost win the game. We see Patrick Holmes and Josh Allen go, you know, tit for tat in one of the greatest postseason games we'll ever see. We see Joe Burrow take a 2-14 Bengals team two years ago to the Super Bowl. You look at all of the high-level quarterback play that we have seen in the postseason, and then you watch Kyler Murray, and you say, that guy's on the same level as all the other quarterbacks we've seen? He's worthy of getting Josh Allen money, Patrick Holmes money, soon to be Joe Burrow money? No, absolutely not. Kyler Murray's not on that level of Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, Stafford. So if he's not on that level, I'm not giving him a big contract extension. I'm absolutely not. He's got to earn it. And guess what? With Cliff Kingsbury coming back, I don't see how this second half swoon changes in 2022. It happened in 2020. Happened in 2021. I'll tell you right now, it's going to happen again in 2022. Part of it's on Kyler. A lot of it's also on Cliff. I'm not paying Kyler Murray if I'm Steve Kahn and the Cardinals until I see he plays his best in the postseason and plays well in big games. He has yet to show that so far. I don't think it's happening again next year. I would not pay Kyler Murray. That's why I think he's not getting an extension this year. The Ravens quickly here. I mean, the Ravens had the opportunity to pay Lamar after 2020. But he was coming off the 2019 MVP season. Played solid in 2020. Got his first career playoff victory in 2020 over the Titans on the road. That was a time to pay Lamar the contract extension. The Ravens did not. Excuse me. They decided to go into year number four. Uh, Lamar playing on his rookie deal. And frankly, he struggled. Now, I understand there's a lot of injuries. Offensive line, running back. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of injuries the, the Ravens dealt with. But that said, when you look at the season Lamar had, which he missed five games. The Ravens themselves missed the playoffs. The last four games Lawrence healthy for, he really struggled, did not play well. Statistically, completion percentage was down, passer rating was down. I'm not paying Lamar Jackson going forward for what he did in 2021. I want to see it again in 2022 before I can feel good that he can consistently play at a high level. Not even get back to the MVP level, but just get back to consistently good football. I want to see that before I pay Lamar Jackson, which is why I don't think the Ravens should or will give him a contract extension this offseason. So I'm curious your thoughts here. We got Kyler Murray wanting a new deal. We got Lamar Jackson hanging to the fifth-year option. We have Baker Mayfield hanging to the fifth-year option. Who one of those three quarterbacks will be the first paid? It doesn't have to be this season. I don't think any of the three are getting paid this offseason. I think it's going to be after the 2022 season is when the contract extensions happen. I think Baker Mayfield, be the first guy out of those three to get paid. How about you? Facebook, love to hear your thoughts. Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We do return here. We have all nine head coaching jobs filled. What is going to be successful? How do these new head coaches have success? I think two areas determine whether your new head coach will either have success or failure. We'll discuss what those two areas are when we turn this into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh my God, oh my God. 
20 minutes from now, Hickey's Pickies, the victory lap edition for Preston Rooksbury Carmines the second. The 2021 Hickey's Pickies regular season champion going six and one. We will get on a ton of different prop bets here, both on the field and off the field. Very excited for Rooks to, uh, to join us here to give us a Super Bowl preview. Further, though, as always, the 10 o'clock hour on the Ryan Hickey Show is sponsored by LC Design. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com. That is lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. So late last week, or early this week, I should say, excuse me, getting my, my days and, and times mixed up, we had all nine head coach uh, openings or vacancies filled, right? We, we know the teams that are open. We know now the head coaches that are, uh, that are filling these positions. So now let's move it forward. Who will have success and who will fail? Right? We, it's inevitable. Not everyone is having success and not everyone is failing. There are two areas though, that I look at that will determine which head coaches will have success with their new team and which will fail. It's pretty simple. The two areas that are the determining factors are leadership and your quarterback. It's honestly as simple as that. If you are a good leader, it doesn't matter the team or your quarterback, you're going to have success and you're going to be around. Also, if you have a good quarterback, you're going to be around as well. And look, if you don't believe me, if you don't think it comes down to as simple as that, leadership and quarterback as the two determining factors of whether a head coach is successful or not, Let's take a look back. Let's look at first the coaches who failed. Let's look at the, the coaches that were fired that opened up these job openings for this past year. Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. He had the quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, but why was he fired? Horrendous, horrendous leader. Saw it from the start. That is the main reason why Urban Meyer is no longer a head coach of the Jaguars. Brian Flores, I would say a great leader. Someone who builds a culture that I would love to play for if I was an NFL player. But why was he fired? In part because he couldn't get along with the quarterback. Wasn't a big Tua Tungvaloa fan. The GM and the owner were. Brian Flores, out. Didn't, you know, had concerns, questions about the quarterback. That was enough for him to get fired. Vic Fangio. He was fired in Denver. Why? I'd say he was a bad leader. Not great. Also had no quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, you don't have a prayer. Joe Judge. Bad leader, no quarterback. Matt Nagy. Had the quarterback, I would say in Justin Fields, right? There's promise there. Justin Fields is promising enough, similar to Trevor Lawrence, to where even though their rookie years were struggles, there was hope and promise and belief that the potential is there to where, you know what, you could say right now, yeah, you got the quarterback. Yeah, this is the quarterback of the future. You feel good about it. And that should be enough to keep you there. But similar to Urban Meyer, in a way, Matt Nagy was a horrible leader. Not to the extent of, you know, leaving your team on the plane and get a lap dance, you know, hiring racist strength coaches, you know, making all these boneheaded decisions and riding your players in a way that is just not, you know, kicking your kicker, for example. Matt Nagy wasn't that bad, but he was someone who was stubborn, who would not adjust his scheme to the players he had. That was just not a very good leader. So he was fired, even though the Bears, we think, had the quarterback. He was fired because he was a horrible leader. Mike Zimmer, the Vikings, lost his voice as a leader. I don't think they, they listened to him that much. The voice got stale. And he doesn't have a great quarterback in Kirk Cousins. So look at the, the coaches. You know, we're not going to count John Gruden. He was fired for obvious reasons. Sean Payne stepped away. But you look at the other seven jobs that are open. Urban Meyer fired for being a horrible leader. 
Flores fired for his quarterback relationship. Fangio fired for both. Judge fired for both. Nagy fired for being a horrible leader. And Zimmer fired kind for both. If you aren't a great leader, if you don't have a good quarterback you believe in, you don't have a prayer of having success. Let's look at now, because not only the failures, it's also, also the success stories. Let's look at the rookie head coaches in 2021 who had very solid first years. What do they all have in common? Here's a hint. Spoiler alert. It's either that they're great leaders, have a great quarterback, or both. Brandon Steele. I think Brandon Steele is a good leader. I like his aggressive style as coaching. I know a lot of people don't. This is a guy for me that's forward-thinking, that believes in his players. Him going forward on a fourth down, I think, you know, gets the team believing in him even more because he's allowing the players on the field to win the game. I think that shows good leadership style. Obviously, also having Justin Herbert as a young, up-and-coming, really good young quarterback, you know, gives you success as well. So Brandon Staley had success in year one. Why? Because he's a good leader and has a really good quarterback. Nick Sirianni is a really good leader. This is a guy with the first seven games of the season didn't even know running the ball was allowed in the rules. Right? They was throw, 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 throw. The only time the Eagles would run the ball is when Jalen Hurts on pass plays that were called would tuck the ball down and run. Is Jalen Hurts a great quarterback? No. I think he's earned the right to show you what he has in 2022. He is not a franchise guy, in my opinion. So the quarterback is not keeping Nick Sirianni there, but his leadership of accepting, okay, this is not going to work. We're going to change schemes. We're going to change philosophy. I'm going to basically suck up my pride and do something that I'm not feeling comfortable with, which is running the ball a ton because that's what fits our team best. That, to me, is what a good leader does. That's why Nick Sirianni had success in year number one, made the playoffs with the Eagles. Dan Campbell, I would say he's a good leader. The players played hard for him. The record was ugly. Jared Goff stinks. But the Lions played hard every single game. Even though they had the number two overall pick, they never mailed it in. The Jaguars at times, you could see this team just stinks. They mailed it in. They get blown out. The Lions fought in a lot of these games. They played really hard. They played hard for their coach, Dan Campbell. He's going to be successful going forward. We got questions. He's going to need to get the quarterback. But as a leader, that's why you look at year number one from Dan Campbell in Detroit. Not as a success. You know, that's just, I think, being a little crazy. But you look at it and say, okay, you know, the guy's playing hard. Let's see, you know, if you can build on that. There's a foundation there. Can you build on it? Arthur Smith, good leader. I think he did well with the pieces he was dealt. Matt, uh, Matt Ryan's a decent quarterback, still on, obviously, his decline. But there were some some good things there Arthur Smith did. They were kind of the Falcons under the radar. But they were in the playoff push late in the season. Um, and Rich Passaccia, I know he wasn't hired, but he took over for John Gruden midway through the year. And why Rich Passaccia was able to get to the, the Raiders to the playoffs was because he was a great leader. He took over in the most tumultuous fashion possible where the head coach was fired for racist and misogynistic emails. Um, you had you, one of your best receivers drive drunk and kill someone, get arrested, and now basically his life is you know going to be stuck in jail the rest of the time. You've had so many obstacles the Raiders had to overcome, and Rich Passaccia, because he's a great leader, navigated those obstacles, were able to keep the Raiders believing and playing hard, and got them to the playoffs. So everyone that had success as first-time head coaches in 2021, Brandon Staley had a good quarterback as a good leader. Nick Sirianni is a great leader. Dan Campbell, great leader. Arthur Smith, pretty good leader. Rich Passaccia, great leader. If you can lead, you don't need a quarterback to have success. If you have a great quarterback, obviously that is easy as well. And if you have both, great leader and head, uh, great quarterback, you are golden. You are there for a very long time. So now, 
when you look at the head coaches that were hired in this cycle, the nine head coaches that were hired, we can already project who's going to have success and who is not. Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. His success is literally contingent upon getting Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, or Sean Watson. That's it. He was hired, I believe, to get Aaron Rodgers to Denver. If he can land Rodgers, Wilson, Watson, he is going to have a lot of success, and he's going to be in Denver for a long time. If not, if the quarterback carousel continues, if it's Teddy Bridgewater, if it's Drew Locke, if it's a rookie quarterback you're reaching on, is it Jimmy Garoppolo, if it's Kirk Cousins, if it's someone else, Nathaniel Hackett is not going to have success in Denver. That is absolutely a fact. Doug Peterson, I think, will have success in Jacksonville. He's a really good leader. He can develop quarterbacks, and he has the quarterback that I think will be you know, one of the next up-and-coming guys in Trevor Lawrence. So Doug Peterson, even though he's going to a dumpster fire of an organization where Shad Khan, the owner, still employing Trent Balky, who no one likes, who's not a very good general manager, no one wants to work with him, but still he's there and still running the business. Maybe it sounds like they're going to try to hire a new GM that's going to report over Trent Balky. said, it's a mess. Jacksonville's a mess. But Doug Peterson, because he's a good leader and has a good quarterback, I think will have success in Jacksonville. Kevin O'Connell, kind of like Nathaniel Hackett. Kevin O'Connell has a great offense. You have Justin Jefferson, you have Adam Thielen, you have Dalvin Cook. If you don't get a quarterback, if you're stuck with Kirk Cousins, obviously most likely will be there next year because of the contract. But if you're able to get a quarterback in there this year, Watson, Wilson, probably not Rodgers, but Watson or Wilson, you're gold. If you struggle finding that quarterback, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through trade, through free agency, and you are stuck with Kirk and, and a Kirk equivalent in 2023 and going forward, you're not having success and you're going to get fired. Josh McDaniels, I think, is going to fail in Vegas because he's a terrible leader. I don't hear about his maturity. If he was so mature, he wouldn't have spurned the Colts the way he did. Granted, for all disclosure, I am a Colts fan. It's not the fact that he, well, it is the fact that he left, but it's also the fact that in the way he left at the 11th hour after accepting the job and backing out. I don't think that really shows a lot of maturity from Josh McDaniels. We obviously know how his first year, uh, first tenure in Denver went. I think he's a terrible leader. Great offense of mine. I don't think he's going to be able to have the leadership capabilities to lead the Raiders. I think he's going to fail in Vegas. Lovey Smith is a placeholder. It's called for what it is. He's not going to do you know anything. He's going to get fired no matter what happens. So we can't really keep him in there. Dennis Allen, I think, is screwed in, in, in NOLA. Not a great leader. A lot of complaints from his first time uh, as a head coach in with the Raiders when they were in Oakland. Also, too, you have no quarterback. Taysom Hill, good luck. Jameis Winston, I like Jameis. I thought he had success uh, in New Orleans under Sean Payton. Now no Sean Payton there. Don't feel great if you bring Jameis Winston back. There's no quarterback. You're in cap hell. Dennis Allen is in big-time trouble. Brian Dayball, his success is contingent upon developing the next quarterback. I don't think it's going to be Daniel Jones. So whether it's a trade, whether it's a, in the draft, you got to develop the next quarterback in a way that you did with Josh Allen. If you can do that, you're golden in New York. You're not getting fired for a while. Not, door moves pretty quickly. Matt Eberflus is going to have to basically be Brandon Staley 2.0. Defensive mind, you have a young quarterback in Justin Fields. Be aggressive. Lead. If you're a great leader, players are playing for you, no matter if you're an offensive coach or defensive coach. If you have the team believing in you, you're not going anywhere. If he can't lead, it doesn't matter how well Justin Fields plays. They'll get rid of you in a second and bring in an offensive-minded head coach to work with Justin Fields. So that's why for Matt Eberflus, it's all about leadership and belief. The team and the Chargers rallied around Brandon Stale in year one. Brandon Stale is more of a defensive-minded coach, right? So if he was struggling, but wasn't a great leader, even though Justin Herbert's playing well, Chargers can get rid of him and bring in someone else that could work with Justin Herbert. It's all about leadership for Matt Eberflus. That will determine, um, that will determine his success or not. And similar with Mike McDaniel in Miami, 
The owner loves Tua. The GM loves Tua. If you can't develop Tua, you're not going to be around that long, and you're going to be in quarterback hell again. If you can, you're a golden. He'll be in Miami for a while. So it's very simple, I think. Head coaching success or lack thereof for these new nine hires comes down to two things. Leadership, the quarterback you have. If you're a great leader, you got a good quarterback, you are going to have guaranteed success. If you are a, eh, okay, if you have one of the two, right? You have a, a, you're a good leader but no quarterback, or you're a terrible leader and you do have a great quarterback, it's an uphill climb. Uphill climb for you to keep your job. And if you have neither, if you are hired and you're not a very good leader, you're not a very good quarterback, you're screwed. You're cooked. It's over. When we return here, Super Bowl edition of Hickey's Pickies, the regular season champion, Preston, Rooksbury, Carmines, the second, will join us on Hickey's Pickies to gloat about his 6-1 and one regular season record, talk about Kyler Murray as a Cardinals fan Rooks is. Is he nervous that he's going to leave? And also get some great Super Bowl prop bets in. We'll do that with Rooks Preston. Preston, I apologize. See, this is one of my good friends, and I already screwed up his name. We'll do that with Rooks. Next, right here on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. For the final time for the 2021 football season, Hickey's Pickies is live. And I apologize to my to my next guest because I kind of shortchanged him here. I should have came back with We Are the Champions. Should have came back with something more celebratory than just some generic NFL theme music because our special Super Bowl guest picker here is not just any old guest. Not just a run-of-the-mill friend of the show or friend from the industry. He, in fact, is a champion. We are listening to the 2021 Hickey's Pickies regular season champion, Preston Rooksbury Carmine II, who went 6-1 and one this year, the best record in the regular season. So, Rooks, welcome, and sir, congratulations to you. Thank you, thank you. You know, it's, it's great holding the most prestigious title in all of sports radio, the Hickey's Pickies championship belt, you know. I'm still waiting for it to get shipped, but... It's, it's fine. Um, so the mail is slow. The mail is slow these days, so, Rook, so just keep on looking. I promise you it's coming. I, I, know, <laughs> I know the whole supply chain slowed down. I know. I know. I know. I know save the world. Um, but great to be here. You know, after only – I think last year I only picked one game correct. So it was – I had a very uh, Bengals-esque kind of run, you know, where we, we went back to the drawing board. You know, we drafted Jamar Chase. We made big-time plays this year. And just really tried to try to make. Damn, Rooks, are you Joe Burrow? I I wouldn't. I would love people, to say that I'm Joe Burrow. People are people are think, asking. People are saying. I don't. I don't think. I, I don't think I have the drip for Joe Burrow. Like, Fair. That guy is just <laughs> an absolute stud. That guy can wear whatever he wants, and everyone's just like, "Yeah, that's that's a fire fit." This guy is just he's just head to toes dripped out every day of his life and i i can't keep up with that but. i will say rooks i think if you rocked in a similar fashion where joe burrow had the jb9 nike chain if you had a p i gotta do this in my head p <laughs> r c p 
Preston Rooksbury Carmines. PRC two, like uh, Roman numeral two on a chain. <laughs> I think you could rock the hell out of it. I'm just saying, Rooks. I'm just saying. I think that would be some swag that you could absolutely pull off. Hey, I, I appreciate that. You know, maybe next year, next year when I <laughs> hopefully repeat my title, True. go along with my championship belt, maybe next year with all my winnings from this, um, I can I can afford that chain. You know what? It's a good point. I like that. Keep yourself motivated for next year. Before we get yeah. to the picks, rooks, and the prop bets here for uh, for your big victory tour, you're a big Cardinals fan. Ironically enough, you caught a few L's with the Cardinals this year. Your six one record, the only one. The only reason why you were not a perfect 7-0 was your damn Cardinals team. I think that was a Packers game. We lost yeah, without the Packers game. Top three receivers for Green Bay down, and you still lost that game. So there was one L for the Cardinals. Now, you got your quarterback, Rooks, deleting all the Cardinals from social media. What the hell is going on here? Are you nervous? What the F? Uh, I don't know what's going on. First off, big no shit out out to the Cardinals for that because if I would have had a perfect, I – my friend convinced me, shout out Johnny Baseball. You know Johnny Baseball. Love Johnny um, Baseball. Johnny Baseball can convince me to throw down on the on my full parlay of all the games I picked. The hickey's pickies parlay, if you will. Twenty dollars was gonna win me seven fifty. <sighs> Cardinals blew it. So Cardinals blow it first game out of the gate because it's a <laughs> Thursday night game. So Cardinals lose. Super, super down on the dumps about it. And then the next six games all hit which was just the biggest slap in the face i could have received what's um, worse is it is it worse losing the first game and winning the last six or winning the first six and losing the like what would you rather have lose oh, the first would, one or lose the last one i would much rather have the hope of winning money as i'm watching so <laughs> losing the first one like i didn't even care about the games anymore and i'm just like scoping out the scores and just getting sadder and sadder as they keep hitting because <laughs> it's like there's no chance this doesn't mean anything if the last one misses at least I had the excitement. True, true, true. But man, Kyler Murray just AJ Green turned around, yeah. maybe got on the same page. Jeez. Little Cardinals rant. Love the cards. Had a rough time watching quarterbacks growing up watching football. You know? Have you ever seen John Skelton throw a football? It's I, not fun. The Fordham legend there, Rooks. It's really not fun. Like, John Skelton, I know you're listening. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but like you're just not you're just not that guy. Um, John Skelton, you but, suck. <laughs> you ruined my childhood, right? <laughs> this is this is turning into a John Skelton uh, slander uh, radio show. Um, no, but so seen brutal quarterback play, except for maybe like Kurt Warner. So then Kyler Murray shows up, dynamic player, great playmaker, putting up great stats these first couple of years. But then this year, we're about to make this like we have on paper a team to make a run. Any primetime game, any like playoff determining games, dude's a lost child. Like I don't like, and I know there's there's so many things that go into it. Play calling's a mess. Cliff. Defense was in, defense was inconsistent. Offensive line is five collective lost children. I don't know how <laughs> we have we had a. Uh, I think DJ Humphreys made the Pro Bowl. Like he's our best offensive lineman. Yeah, but like that's. Ugh, it's not saying much. well Brooks I will say I mean Mac Jones made the Pro Bowl so the the bar to make the Pro Bowl now is really decreased yeah, <laughs> that's fair it's, but it's just so like seeing Buda Baker Kyler James Connor and Chandler Jones standing with DJ Humphreys like who's the odd man out here <laughs> right like who's the odd man out but anyway look at our record at the end of the year when we're trying to make a run for the playoffs 
Like we can't win big games. And I don't think, I don't think Kyler's the big problem, but if you look at his stat line towards the end of the year and him in the playoff game, it's just, what, what are we doing? What's going on? We talked about before, Rooks, the first eight games of the season for Kyler Murray. 20 total touchdowns, seven turnovers. After he got hurt, came back the final seven games of the year, including the playoff loss to the Rams. Nine touchdowns, five turnovers. Touchdowns yes. drop, turnovers stay the same. That Colts game on Christmas night, I mean, he was just in a, like, just couldn't do anything. He was ineffective. Nothing. He was not good. But, it was And now he wants a contract extension, I guess. You know, I just, nothing I, says contract it, extension after playing your worst football in the biggest games of the year yeah, like, what, for the what, second year in a row. <laughs> what do we, what bartering chip do we have? Uh, like, what, what leverage do you have when you just put on the most abysmal playoff run performance of any, like of any quarterback I've watched consistently in the history? Uh, it's, it's frustrating. It's frustration all around. Then him deleting all the Cardinal stuff off his profile just makes things worse. It's just this whole whole debacle right now oh boy well rooks at least you got hickey's pickies there's one thing for the fall that that you, there's one win the for one, you the one the Man. one positive area of my football experience this year no thanks to penn state no thanks to the arizona cardinals shout out to hickey's pickies and the Cardinals still had a way to ruin some of the fun <laughs> for you Man, 2021 not good for rooks's football teams that is for sure all right, P-Man, let's, ha- let's go pervert here. The Cardinals literally cannot ruin this edition of Hickey's Pickies. They're not in, so we're going to go in a positive spin. That's the one good thing about the Cardinals not making the Super Bowl. They can't screw you in the picks this time. Yeah. We'll start with oh, the goodness. game first. Your arch rival, a team you hate in your division. Rams take on the Bengals. Rams are four-and-a-half-point favorites here, Rooks. You're going to go with the arch rival, the, the nemesis, we're going to go with a guy that you mirror yourself after, Hickey's Pickies, and that's Joe Burrow. So, yeah, so come in full circle, right? Last year, Joe Burrow gets hurt. Bengals look pathetic. And then I only pick one game correct, Hickey's Pickies. Down in the dumps, you know. Big rebuilding time. Then breakout season this year. Everything starts to click. They're doing it. And they're explosive. They have weapons all over the field. I am picking the Cincinnati Bengals to cover that 100%. I think they're going to come out explosive, ready to play. I will not be quoted on the air <laughs> saying that I am going to pick the Rams to win the Super Bowl. I won't. I won't. I didn't care if every team somehow maybe got disqualified this year and then the Washington football team <laughs> had to step in. I'm picking the football team. I'm not, I am not going on record picking the Rams ever. Bengals are absolutely covering this game. Rooks going with the heart, taking the Bengals out of spite for the Rams. I'm going with the Rams, Rooks. Screw you. Screw the Cardinals. <laughs> I'm going Matthew Stafford, my guy. It's been it's been rough, Rooks, because I've also watched some bad quarterback play this year and watched the quarterback just crumble down the stretch in Carson Wentz. So Matthew Stafford, full disclosure, that was the number one option I wanted for the Colts last year. It seemed like there was no choice, but at least I had some sort of uh, idea that he would be good. I've been on the Stafford bandwagon since he got to the Rams. I am coming through, baby. Stafford winning the Super Bowl in year one in L.A. He's doing it covering the four and a half. I'm going to go 27-21 here. Nice win for Stafford. Raise that Lombardi trophy up. Get the win. Rooks, you're going with the man. Like I said, some people are comparing to you. Forget Rooks being compared to Joe Burrow. I've heard Joe Burrow is being compared to Rooks. (laughs) Just what the people on the internet, just what I'm seeing on the internet, Rooks. You know, that's that's all. (laughs) 
You're getting live updates right now. Everyone's live tweeting this. There's a press conference going on right now. Joe Burrow asked, Joe, do you feel like you have really mirrored what Rooks has been able to do in Hickey's Pickies this year? And Joe Burrow said, that's my inspiration. So, hey. Oh, yeah. I'm actually – oh, yeah. I'm getting a call from Stephen A. right now, but I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that after this. <laughs> Not now, Stephen A. We're, not, we're a bigger show here, a more important show. That, that is for sure. You're a funny guy, Rooks. <laughs> so you're going the Bengals. You're going Joe Burrow. Let's do another prop bet here. Who's going to have more receiving yards in the game, Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase? So even though – I think the Bengals, which means Jamar Chase, pretty much, I think the Bengals, like, I think Jamar Chase has to have a good game for them to take it. I just think he's, he's the spark that that offense, like, like rides with, you know? Um, but on the other side of the ball, there's a guy that gets like 14 catches a game and gets 90% of, like, if you, like, I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's another receiver thrown to as much as Cooper Cup. As someone who's watched the Rams play multiple times this year, one playing the Cardinals, but two just out of hatred and rooting for the other team, um, Cooper Cup gets thrown to pretty much every other play. Every other play, Cooper Cup's getting a target, and he just gets, he is an absolute volume machine. So I think even if Jamar Chase has, oh, and also on top of that, you know who's going to be matched up with Cooper Cup? The godliest corner uh, in all of the NFL, Eli Apple. The biggest um, trash yeah. talker in the game. The guy who talks the most <laughs> trash and literally cannot back it up the, the, the most. <laughs> I am expecting Cooper Cup to hang up at least 150 on Eli <laughs> Apple's head. Like, it's, it's not going to be a question. Um, so, I, even though I think and – and the thing is, too, Chase will have – Chase will have Ramsey mm -hmm. in there. Like I don't. I think that's a really tough matchup. I think. I think Cup takes this. Just even just based off matchup alone. Like, I think Cooper Cup will get uh, get more yards. Rooks, I'm in agreement with you. And it's not even like I'm not saying when I say this, we're about to say like Jamar Chase is bad. He is one of the best receivers in the NFL. I will say it's easier to take him away for what he does, kind of the routes he runs by putting two or three guys kind of by him. Cooper Cup. People have been trying all season long. All what? 18 plus 3. 21 games the Rams have played. They have said, how are we going to take Cooper Cup away? Whether it's, you know, scheme, whether it's the, the routes they run. There's been no ability to slow down Cooper Cup. Like you said, the guy, most targets, most receptions, most yards, most touchdowns in the NFL. It's no secret. Cooper Cup is the guy Matthew Stafford's throwing the ball to. But each and every week, no one can cover the guy. So guess what? I don't think the Bengals now all of a sudden are going to be able to magically cover Cooper Cup. Unless, Rooks, maybe here's an idea. You literally take 10 guys. Take 10 guys and put them on him. Just put a wall, literally a bubble around Cooper Cup, and he still might get open. I don't know. Yeah. To your that point. Guy, that guy is never covered. I've watched the Cardinals twice. Byron Murphy, great corner. I watched Byron Murphy shadow Cooper Cup over the field, and then they have zoned moving towards Cup, and Cup's still open. And it's just, what do you do? What do you even do at that point? You're right. It's Jamar Chase is a physical freak. But I think it's easier to take him away by just, like you said, putting Jalen Ramsey there, just putting two or three guys in his direction because the routes they run, it's all about scheme. It's all about his elusiveness. Cooper Cup, I'm with you, is going to get more receiving yards, more targets, and be a bigger factor for sure. Here's one for you, R-Man. First play of the game is going to be a run or a pass. doesn't matter who has the ball first. The first play of the game is going to be a pass play or run play. This, this is, I think, I think on the list of props, this is the one I had the most trouble with just because – I don't like it's such a spotty thing, but I'm gonna go run. I'm gonna go run play. The the Rams, they love they love and like 
I hate how much I know about watching the Rams just because I've watched them play so much this year. Um, the Rams love starting to drive with a little run play. They love dropping it. Give a chance to get their legs, and they hit you with the play action a few plays later. Bengals, Joe Mixon's been running really well. I'd assume that they're going to try to just take a step into the game. I think first play of the game is going to be a run. I'm with you because the Rams, you're right. I think they, they want to, and kind of their offense is built upon play action, right? So how do you have play action? You run the ball first. I do think they're going to run the ball if they win, you know, if they get the ball first. And the Bengals, I mean, my God, Zach Taylor, it doesn't matter if you are losing yards at every single play. Again, in that Chiefs game, when it was first and 10, it was a guaranteed run play. For whatever reason, Zach Taylor loves the first and 10 run up the middle of Joe Mixon. I think that's going to change. So the Bengals get the ball first. I would bet almost my life it would be a run on first down to Joe Mixon. So we are in agreement there. Both, we think, first play of the game will be a run. How about the anthem? The national anthem length, Rooks. The over-under is 95 seconds, so a minute 35. Is it going to go over or under? Did some research, looked into it, just looked into who's singing it. Mm-hmm. Big King. Never heard of Never heard of Um. Wait, who'd you say it was? No, no, I said Big Key, Mickey Guyton. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, that's what I saw. I, I don't know who that is either. Country singer. No idea. No idea who that is. That being said... She probably feels like she has a lot to prove, you know? She probably feels like she's got to drag some notes out. She's got to hit those falsettos. I'm just throwing out music words that I... Yeah, look at you, falsettos, hitting the notes. (laughs) This guy's doing all the research possible. Did you go to a Mickey Guyton's concert, like, last week to to get the answer? (laughs) No, that's the thing. I don't don't know who she is, so I think she's going to come into it. She's got a lot to prove. She's on the biggest stage. She's going to try to pop off. I think it's going over a minute 35. I think she's going to drag it out, try to show off all the talent she's got, sell them records, get it out of there with a little bit of a bag. You know what I mean? Ro- <laughs> get the bag. I'm with you, Rooks. And country, too. Country music's a little bit more slower, you know? Usually, you're right. You drag out the notes. I'm with you. Over, you bleed this bad boy. This might be. This is easily the biggest stage maybe Mickey Guyton will ever be on. You want to soak it up. I'm with you. Over minute 35 seconds. Here's one, Rooks. Heads or tails? Coin talk. So, being the stud football player that I was, big time captain, you know, always had to make this call. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But anytime, anytime I made calls. Come back to the high school football days in Rockville. <laughs> back in my day, you know, when I was a senior at Rockville, you know, I always did the coin toss. I had a 100%, I was a head guy. <laughs> 100% success rate on coin tosses. I'm sure. Look that up. It's I'm in sure. Book. No. Um, <laughs> I'm I, I'm a ta- I'm a tails guy. I'm going tails. Tails. You're going tails. I, always- I feel like see. I used to be a tails guy too, but now I feel like that. Oh, you always go tails. You always go tails. The tails never fails. I'm gonna go back now. I'm gonna go the opposite. I'm gonna go heads. Heads to me, I think is an underplayed, under uh, lack of respect. Maybe call. Everyone always goes tails. I'm gonna say the coin toss is gonna be wrong here. It's gonna be heads. Heads. I got to think of something, you know, if tails never fails, we'll, we'll go some heads is always the winner or something, something that rhymes. I'm not creative on the spot. As you that can was, tell. Dude, that was, that was great. You should, you should tagline that. Heads. Yeah. Okay. Heads, heads always wins. That's yeah. Cool. Heads always. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's you know what they say? Heads always wins. <laughs> Man, that was, yeah, that's, that's a rough one. We'll, we'll move past that. Halftime show, our man. Who is going to be the first performing artist we see on the stage? We got Eminem, Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar. 
Who's the first person that's going to appear on the stage that we see at the halftime show? So, games being played in LA, like Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, like just universal LA icons, right? For me, it was between those two. Just universal, like big time players in LA. But I think it's going to, I genuinely, I think it's going to be Dr. Dre. Because Dr. Dre does, he's the Dr. producer, Dre. right? He does, like, he, do, he does the music, he does all that. So I think they're going to have, like, out, and we're going to start introducing our artists. So I, I think Dr. Dre is who we're going to see first. I like where your head is at. I'm going to go actually Kendrick Lamar, and here's why. It's like in any Super Bowl halftime show, whether it's one person, whether it's a band, or like we have, you know, five different people, you always want to save what? The best for last. No disrespect to Kendrick Lamar, which is basically what I'm doing right here. But when you have Eminem, yeah, Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, even though Kendrick Lamar, I believe, is a Compton native, so right there in the heart of LA, he yeah, is too. the smallest name out of the five. I think this halftime show is going to work from small to big, which means. I think Kendrick's out there first, and you build the anticipation for Snoop. I think at some point you're going to hear the songs, and all of a sudden you're going to hear stop, and you're going to hear the famous Dr. Dre piano. I think we're going to go from small to big here, which means I think Kendrick's going to be the first on stage rapping um, one of his songs. We'll just say that. I had a song in my head, and I totally forgot the name of it. But you know what I'm talking about. One of Kendrick Lamar's famous songs. I do like where your head's at. I think that's a. I think I do think that's a solid choice. All right, I think that's. I think that's solid. Great minds sort of think alike. We have the same idea, different pick. You're going Dr. J. I'm going Kendrick Lamar. Two more here for you, Armand. The always important Gatorade color. Who you think it's going to be Zach Taylor? I'm going to go Sean McVay. What color Gatorade is going to be poured on their heads? So we got options here, Armand. We got orange, which is the betting favorite. Blue, green, yellow, lime, all one category. Green, yellow, lime. A little variation. Red slash pink and purple. So we got orange, blue, Three together, green, yellow, lime, red and pink are together, and finally purple. Which are we going with, Armin? I am going to go. Oh, I think I'm going to go with the favorite here. I think I'm going orange. I think I think orange is a solid choice. Orange is a universal flavor that, like, in Gatorade, everyone can always do orange Gatorades. Always. Orange is never going to miss. It's it's a consistent player in the game. I'm, I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with um, the betting favorite, I'm going to go with orange. I like the pick. I almost picked orange. I feel like in my mind, not that we memorize what color Gatorade gets dumped, but when I envision a head coach getting the Gatorade dumped on him, I feel like it is orange. Like I feel like the first car I envision is orange. So I would go that. And obviously, if your pick comes true, it's the Bengals, you would think, okay, maybe go a little team color here, go orange to really kind of make it look nice. I will go, <laughs> though, yellow. I'll go green, yellow, lime. I think lime Gatorade underrated. I think people will like it. And I just feel like, I don't know. I'm just going to go, you know, I don't think red, pink is an option. Absolutely not. I like blue Gatorade. I feel like blue Gatorade is extremely underrated. I feel like you never see it on the sidelines for whatever reason. I don't know. I will go yellow with, you know, slash, slash green, slash lime there for Sean McVeigh and doused. Finally, our man, the big one here, Super Bowl MVP. You're going with the Bengals. So I'd presume you go with a Bengals player. I'm going with the Rams. So I will go with a Rams player here to win. Who is your Super Bowl 56 MVP? So, yeah. So, picking the Bengals. Got to ride with the Bengals. Okay. Picture this, right? Ooh. End of the game. Bengals are up. Rams are driving. Rams are driving. Get down within the five. You know they're looking for Cooper Cup. You know who's marked on him? 
to make the biggest play of his entire career. Number, I think he's number twenty-five. Eli Apple. You're gonna do it. No way. The ball ends the game. Malcolm Butler. No, I am absolutely not. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Come on, Rooks, go on a limb. No, I have one hundred percent. If the Bengals win, and I think even if he has just a decent performance, I think Joe Burrow wins MVP. Like, I think he's. It's the most. I think it would be the best. You know, like the most like sellable thing is like Joe Burrow, like road to redemption from last year and like coming back and fighting and he's i mean he is he's so easy to like he's such a likable player he plays so hard and just he's a, he's an awesome dude i think if Bengals take it which i'm hoping to god they do i'm taking joe burrow as my mvp go eli apple brooks come on go on <laughs> go out on a limb call your you like, shot you like the misdirection there I, I painted the whole picture and everything you sold me I on I almost said you believe in it. I was hook, line, and sinker. I thought you were going to do it. I was honestly, as I'm writing these down, I had Eli typed out. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to do it. He's going <laughs> to do it. You know what the worst part is? Like, you picked Joe Burrow. I'm picking Matthew Stafford. Like, I'm goating you for, for not picking a, a quarterback. It's a quarterback award. It's so crappy. I just looked it up. That Malcolm Butler Super Bowl, he wasn't even the MVP. It was Tom Brady. The guy made the biggest play <laughs> in arguably Super Bowl history. You can't even throw him the MVP award. Tom Brady was great, but guess what? If it's not for Malcolm Butler, the Patriots are losing that game. You make the biggest play maybe ever, and you don't even get an MVP award. It still goes to the quarterback. You can't do anything on, you know, you can't be any other player with the quarterback and, and win the award now. Because even last year, Tom Brady played okay. Right? It wasn't great. It was the defense of the story for the, the Buccaneers. Oh, 110% the Bucs defense last year won that right. game. And who gets the MVP? Tom Brady. Like, well, what are we doing here? So you'd be stupid, honestly, not to pick a quarterback because it's a quarterback award. It doesn't matter yeah. what happens. The quarterback gets it. It's ridiculous, but I'm with you here. I'm trying to win. I'm not trying to, you know, go on a limb. So I'm trying to win. Picking the Rams. It's going to be because of Matthew Stafford winning the game. So I'll go with Matthew Stafford here as MVP. Although I will say for the Bengals, it is interesting. You could have won with Evan McPherson. I don't think a kicker has ever won the MVP. Guys, 12 for 12 oh, yeah. in the, the end of, you know, in, in the postseason. He could have he been it. Maybe a game-winning field goal, although I'm sure they probably give it to Joe Burrow for, like, you know, a handoff that he had to get them in a field goal range. Yeah, Joe Burrow MVP. <laughs> but that yeah. would have been... Joe, Joe Burrow takes the snap and does a thing where he tries to get to the right hash mark and yeah. falls over. It's like, what a performance. He did, the Bengals won that game because that play alone, MVP. Here you go, Joe, Joe Burrow. <laughs> so you're going Burrow MVP, I'm going Stafford. Gatorade color, you're going orange, I'm going yellow. First artist we see at the halftime show, you're going Dr. Dre. I'll go Kendrick Lamar. You're on Tales for the Coin Toss. I'll go Heads. We are both on the national anthem over of 1 minute, 35 seconds. We both think the first play is going to be a run, pay, uh, a run play. Cooper Cup, more yards than Jamar Chase. And the game prediction. Preston, Rooksbury, Carmine, the second is going with his beloved Cincinnati Bengals. I will go with his arch rival, the Los Angeles Rams. Our man. Blast. Thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations again. I'll give you one more chance. The floor is yours to gloat, to rub it in everyone's face. So you are the champion going six and one for Hickey's Pickies. The floor is yours, sir. Again, thank you. Thank you for having me. Always a great time on the show. Um, the champ's going to come back. You know, we don't, we don't strive for strive for one. We don't strive for two. We strive for a dynasty. So I'll be back next year. You know, I went one and six the first year and then flipped it. Maybe I'll flip back. You know, maybe I'll only win one game and then you won't hear me uh, rant about this on the air anymore. But hey, 
I had a great time doing it while I'm here. And thank you again for the most prestigious, the most prestigious honor you can get in sports radio. Rooks, we appreciate you coming on, and I can't wait to see the PRC, the second chain, next time Rooks is on the show <laughs> for the 2022 edition of Hickey's Pickies, swagged out just like a guy who mirrors his game after Rooks, and that is Joe Burrow. Our man, best of luck this week. Looking forward to a perfect Hickey's Picky since the Cardinals can't ruin it for you. And thanks for coming on, man. Congrats again. Thank you so much. The champ has left the building. Preston Rooksbury Carmine II, the 2021 Hickey's Pickies champion going again. Six and one. And ironically, the one loss for him was his beloved Cardinals on Thursday Night Football with the Packers missing three of their best players or three best receivers. Ended up being a big fat L in the scorecard. But other than that, that was the only one. So we credit Rooks for a tremendous season and we congratulate him for being the second ever winner. He joins now Lauren Clark. As the only two winners of Hickey's Pickies, Lauren went 5-0 in 2020. Rooks goes 6-1 in 2021. So that will do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really do appreciate everyone here who, who joined us on this Thursday morning. It's going to be a blast. Can't wait for this weekend. I think the Rams are going to win. It should be a very good, tight game. But I think the Rams will win. Matthew Stafford does finally climb Mount Everest and get the job done. But also, though, before that, today is uh, the final day of the NBA trade deadline. I don't think the Sixers should trade for James Harden. I think they absolutely got to avoid that. Uh, James Harden, to me, is not a championship caliber player. I don't think him and Embiid are winning a title. So I would save my assets to trade for someone I think who can be paired with Embiid to win a title. I think James Harden's that guy, so I would avoid it. If I was Darren Morey, Lakers, team that's also trying to make a big move, I don't see a move that's out there for them uh, in any aspect. There's no move they can make that will absolutely make them championship contenders. So Lakers are stuck. They are screwed. And I don't think the Sixers should trade for James Harden. It will not get them closer to a title. And I don't think they are winning a championship with Harden and Embiid in Philly. So do it again. So enjoy the Super Bowl. It's going to be a blast. Have some great food. Have some great time. Hang with friends and family watching the game. We will be back, of course, on Monday to recap the game, give you some hot takes, give you some thoughts from the game, and recap everything from Super Bowl Sunday. So enjoy the game. Have a great, great weekend. As always, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you on, on Monday. We're all right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.